and welcome to Potternot, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and for those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis and are ready to dive into the good and the bad. I am E, a potential future fan of Harry Potter. Uh, you can find me at CEL10E on Twitter and Twitch and YouTube. I'm Adela, a fan in crisis. You can find me at Aradel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore on Twitter and Aradel Grace on YouTube. And I'm Zoe, a jaded Harry Potter fan. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, and buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are bought. And our wonderful theme music is by Morgan Jackson. You can find more of his music at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. And today we're talking about more of book one. Yes, so I read, I think we all read, in fact, this week, um, the chapters Diagon Alley, uh, The Journey from Platform Nine and Three Quarters, and The Sorting Hat. The world-building chapters, yeah. The, yeah, lore chapters, as it turns out. (laughs) Very much so. The chapter art in the American edition of chapter five, Diagon Alley, is the tattoo that I have as part of my yeah. larger tattoo sleeve. So I should note um, that the book that I'm reading has no art in it whatsoever, yeah, which is very so. sad. Mary Grand Prix, who did the American art, is like, I, I really like her stuff. So, so what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I should just go like chronologically. Yeah, through my thoughts, or to start with like my most overall impression. The overall impression is that I am surprised how fast the author pivots between relatively frank depictions of child abuse and this like absolutely absurd wizarding stuff. Yep, like the pivot is so fast. Mm-hmm. Like between. Chapter four and five, the pivot is huge. But even within chapter five, yeah, like at the end of chapter five, beginning of chapter six, where you're looking at Harry, like he comes back from Diagon Alley and then he asks to be brought to London. Yeah. So, okay, here's the thing I did not know. I thought that, uh, like from my experience with Harry Potter fan stuff, I thought that after Diagon Alley, he went straight to platform nine three quarters that's basically what happens in the movie yeah like i did not know that hagrid sends him back to the dursleys for a month mm-hmm. and they really just zoom right past that don't they they sure do i i don't know how i feel about that it's also like chapter five <laughs> doesn't mention the fact that they've been stuck on like a hut in the middle of the ocean and Hagrid and Harry just sort of like cross the little moat and then they're near a train station. Yeah. And the Dursleys, I guess, get back somehow. Yeah, were the <laughs> Dursleys they did still take the there when they left? What happened? Yes. The Dursleys were sleeping in the other room. There is no explanation. It is a very large plot hole of how the Dursleys get off of this very small island and back to their car. And, like, it is pretty explicit that it's not near anything. Yeah. Because that was the point. 
but like literally they clamber up the stone steps onto the street as they come up to the harbor wall like now they're just in the city and not necessarily london but like a town but like a town big enough to have a train station i mean there are very small towns that have train stations in england but yeah i didn't think about that but that is wild yeah, I, I, I have never thought about that, and I've read this book like 20 <laughs> times, so there you go. <laughs> this has always bothered me. Yeah, obviously it's something that the author does not expect you to care about. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a a whimsical enough story that, of course, there's a town there now where the point was that it was so remote in the last chapter, because the narrative demands that there be a town there. Yep. Yeah, so they go to London... They find Diagon Alley. Uh, again, I don't know why, but I had the perception that Diagon Alley was at Hogwarts. Oh. Mm. I thought that Diagon Alley was, like, on the grounds of Hogwarts. Wow. Huh. There is a small town near Hogwarts called Hogsmeade that has some yeah. of the same shops. Of course, I'm also thinking of Hogwarts as, like, you know, in the way that colleges and universities are surrounded by towns. Oh. The location of Hogwarts is another thought that I have, but I'll get there. The Hog- yeah, we'll get there. I, I have a theory as to where Hogwarts is, but yeah. So they get to... They have to go through the backyard of a pub. The Leaky yep. Cauldron. Yep. Yeah, Cauldron. to get to Diagon Alley, which is, which is interesting. The Leaky Cauldron, a place where a bunch of people are just day drinking. And Harry's first introduction to really being famous. Yeah. I, I assume that's going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to bring it back to what we were talking about in our first episode, Harry has always been my favorite character. And yeah. I have always loved his reaction to being famous, which is like, who? Yeah, me? I think it's very yeah. nice. There's a part in the second, is it the second chapter where the twins recognize him and he says, oh, him? Oh, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's well done. It is really well done. And Daedalus Diggle, who I'll just go ahead and say comes back later, not as an important character. He's just like a character who's around. But I love that Harry recognizes him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Diggle is so happy. And Harry just like doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like of course I would recognize someone who treated me who, like, nicely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so sad. <laughs> I didn't mean to make that so sad. But when you're a kid, like you remember people who stand out to you. Yeah. We also meet Quirrell. We meet Quirrell. We do, poor guy. <laughs> I I know that there's a thing with Quirrell. There sure is. At the end of this book, I remind me I want to discuss the logistics of this scene, but it yep. has to be at the end of this book. Okay. <laughs> I feel bad for him is what I will say, briefly. Yeah, yeah. Quirrell mentions vampires, so we know that vampires exist. <laughs> yes, vampires exist. You get to meet one in book six. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, actually, <laughs> as much as I have difficulty with some of the like lore in the Harry Potter world and how J.K.R. built it, I really, really think that she nailed vampires in a very <laughs> interesting way when we get That's to so book six and we read the description of that vampire. I think it very much works to create like the aura 
that fits. I, it, it, it's a it's a little bit of an offhand joke in that scene. It's very funny, um, and I really enjoy it. So that's something to look forward to in however long it takes us to get to book six. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. Just a quick aside, Hagrid's written accent still extremely bothering me. And also extremely not consistent. Not consistent at all. Yeah, I. it's been a while since I've read the, I, I guess it's been like a while, it's been like a year and a half since I read the books. <laughs> um, and I think that up until now, I think the last couple times I read it, it, it was bothering me a little bit. But before that, I was just so used to it that I didn't even notice it. Yeah. And now like that it was pointed out to me last time, like I was definitely noticing it more. It's it's as if she has like a a meter of how stupid do I want Hagrid to appear in this scene versus how competent and his yeah. accent changes accordingly. Hmm. Yeah. And throughout this book and really up through book three, in scenes where he needs to be serious, the accent will also be lessened. Yeah. So what do you think of the name Diagon Alley? This is something that when I did an independent study in college on young adult literature, I talked quite a lot about with my professor. Nice. I like that name a lot. Like, I think that there is a wide variety of of names <laughs> that the author has, has given to things in this book. Some clearly haven't been giving more, like, consideration than others. Uh, I think Diagon Alley is, like, A+. The big thing that we talked about when I was in my independent study is that if you just read it phonetically all the way through, it's diagonally. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, off-kilter. And if you read books on, like, queer theory and women and gender and sex and sexuality studies, and you look at, like, the othering effect and the groups of people that are considered to be, like, not on the quote-unquote normal cis straight, et cetera, path, mm -hmm. it is often sort of the diagonal. It is the off-kilter. It is all of these ideas that are sort of encompassed by the idea of like a hidden back room place, right? This It's a really interesting word to use for what is a very heteronormative and structured society mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. separate from the muggle society. Yeah. But within and of itself, it is like highly structured. Right. Like it's a word that's used for othering, but... And it is true that like the whole point is that the wizarding world has been othered by the muggle world, except that they haven't because the muggle world doesn't know that they exist. Yeah, the wizarding world has othered themselves. From yeah. The world. Yes. There are some papers that have been written about Diagon Alley and diagonally and queer theory, and it's uh, it's sort of an interesting point. Yeah, I wonder if any of those are um, publicly accessible that we might link. Oh, yeah. Let me write show. myself a note and I will take a look. And if we can find some, then um, we can put them in the show notes. Perfect. Cool, because that, that sounds really interesting. Um, yes, yeah, so they get into Diagon Alley and then the world building begins. <laughs> the lore dump commences. How many sickles are in a galleon? I have it written down. There's one, uh, 17 sickles in a galleon and 29 nuts in a sickle. Yeah, so that's what Hagrid tells Harry. I find the number of sickles and nuts to a galleon is hilarious. Okay, can we just go there? Can we, can we just, can I just? <laughs> it's like, it's like imperial versus metric measurement is. is what yeah. it is. <laughs> so clearly she's trying to make fun of the imperial system by making an even more ridiculous imperial system. 
But the thing is that the imperial system is not just like some king of England 800 years ago picked out some numbers and was like, this will be my currency system. Like they were based, they're based on easily divisible numbers or real measurable things and not just arbitrary prime numbers that you happen to pick out of a hat. Mm-hmm. It's... I do appreciate that they are prime numbers. It's, yeah, in, in a way it's satisfying, but when you only have three... Yeah. L- levels of currency? I don't know. Why Why has nobody done anything about this ever? Uh, that's a question you should continue asking. The question of why has nobody done anything about this ever will come up again. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one thing just extremely yes. fast that amused me in the next paragraph after that 17 sickles thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry is observing the things that they're passing, um, and we get this sentence... Strange silver instruments Harry had never seen before. Windows stacked with barrels of bat spleens and eels' eyes. Okay. If he doesn't know what the silver instruments are, how does he <laughs> recognize a bat spleen? I would assume that they have signs beside them, but... I also assume so, but it's just an <laughs> absurd funny. juxtaposition. It is. Of, Here's the thing, I don't know what it is. Here's some things that I know exactly what they are. <laughs> Dumbledore has a bunch of those strange silver instruments in his office, and we don't know what they are then either. Harry just calls them strange silver instruments. That's when you know that the author doesn't know what they are, and has not bothered to invent them. That's true. Uh, One of them gets used in book five. All right. (laughs) Something to look forward to. The use of a strange silver instrument. Um, Can't wait. I think it's time to talk about goblins. It is time to talk about goblins. So let let me read the first... And only description of a goblin. They had reached a snowy white building, which towered over the other little shops. Standing beside it burnished bronze doors, wearing a uniform of scarlet and gold, was... Yeah, that's a goblin, said Hagrid quietly, as they walked up the white stone steps toward him. The goblin was about a head shorter than Harry. He had a swarthy, clever face, a pointed beard, and, Harry noticed, very long fingers and feet. He bowed as they walked inside. Yeah, so how about that word swarthy? How about that word swarthy and a pointed beard, huh? The pointed beard is what I noticed for the first time after knowing about Um, the stereotype. Harry is an 11-year-old, so if he's a head shorter than an 11-year-old. That is very small. This is a very small Two and a half, three foot. Also, I never knew what the word swarthy meant until I saw it mentioned in regards to stereotypes and then looked it up. So I never caught like picked that up yeah it usually means like darker side of tan there's a lot going on just in that dark sentence. skinned i shall say with like middle implications. eastern yeah implications eastern, of being north african middle eastern or north african is generally what is implied by the word swarthy uh swarthy is also used to describe the men of the west yes in lord of the rings it's often it's, used to describe pirates don't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure it's also used to describe the um what's their name in the narnia books oh Um, yes yeah you know middle eastern stand-ins there as well yes okay so yeah go go ahead go ahead and state the problem here which is that the goblins are using words and stereotypes commonly associated with anti-semitic descriptions of jews yeah. combined with the fact that they run a bank, which is one of the occupations that is often associated with in anti-Semitic circles with Jews. In negative ways, usually. 
like greed and hoarding money. And this stems from medieval practices around money lending Mm -hmm. and who and who was not able to have jobs doing money lending because of words in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament. And this is compounded by like on top of this description, on top of all of these things, in the films, the goblins get long hooked noses, which is also an aspect of cruel anti-Semitic descriptions of Jews. So there's like a huge amount going on here that is just never acknowledged um, by JKR or by some of the more adamant fans online. Yeah. Do goblins ever come up in any other context besides banking or do they exist to bank? Well, sort of. (laughs) We see them outside of the bank but always in conjunction with treasure. Yes. So, so they, they basically exist to handle money and, and valuables. They have also had their rights stripped from them and hate wizards in many capacities. Yes. There are a lot of offhand references to the Goblin Wars in like snippets of History of Magic lectures that are just like breezed past. And then mm-hmm. in book seven, you see quite a lot of goblins. When they own a piece of treasure, they consider themselves to be the only sole owner. When they create it, they, they consider that, that wizards are loaning it when they buy it. And upon the death of a wizard, it should come back to the goblins. You'll find a lot of similarities in Tolkien's descriptions of dwarves mm-hmm. and some of their habits, especially dwarves, not to get into the lore, but dwarves who've been affected by the ring. Yeah, um, that it reminded me of some of the later bits of The Hobbit and Dwarven Greed. It's like Dwarven Greed in Lord of the Rings as affected by the One Ring mm-hmm. and baseline goblin behavior in the Harry Potter franchise are almost one-to-one in yeah. a lot of ways. And there's a lot about Dwarven Lord of the Rings culture that is also can be and has been in scholarly and fan literature talked about as the sort of Jewish stereotype. Interesting. In a lot of derivative fantasy media that draws from Tolkien, dwarves always get that um, stereotype. And this is not unique to fantasy literature. Um, I am a big Star Trek fan. E, you are also a big Star Trek fan. Yes. There is a species in Star Trek, called the Ferengi, who are basically this. I have, yeah, I have seen very little of Deep Space Nine, so I'm not as familiar, but yeah. They are perhaps a more comedic bent on this idea, but they have the rules of acquisition, which is like this weird, almost play on the laws of Judaism. Like there's this, it's like a lot of weird... Yeah. back and forth and pull and everything revolves around money and, and all of these sort of stereotypes. It does get distanced in a way that the goblins in Harry Potter and the dwarves in Lord of the Rings do not. Just what E read, just that basically like three sentences set, up, set the stage for yeah. a fairly cruel anti-Semitic picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say also that none of the other goblins that they encounter throughout this Gringot scene are described, nope. which yeah. sort of leads to this perception of like oh they're all the same like only one of them gets named yeah remember that name um 
Like not a joke. Remember that name. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I will remember Griphook. I think there's like one or two other named goblins ever. Mm-hmm. Gornick. And mostly in book seven. Yeah. Yeah, it stood out to me that none of the goblins were named here because as, like on a reread, I noticed that because as we will see uh, toward, like throughout this chapter and especially towards the Sorting Hat chapter, like JKR loves to name every NPC. Yeah. Like, well, these aren't NPCs. <laughs> oh no, of course not. They're creatures. They're creatures. And that's a distinction that's that... That's true. Yeah, the goblins are considered magical creatures, not people. people. But they clearly have names. Yeah. Oh, yes, and they are sentient. This is a, this is a distinction that you should keep in mind for okay. future books. Okay. Um, and actually will be a really, really important aspect in book five. Yes. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there are a lot of magical creatures that are people that are not they're not part of the wizarding community. But this is it's just like another addition onto the the cruelty of this description and like the offhanded thoughtlessness. It's yeah. not even that it's cruel, it's that it's thoughtless. That's the thing that I was going to say is like it feels more thoughtless than than intentional. It's one of those things that like she did a lot and made a lot of mistakes that way, which is like a thing that I guess, like, I wouldn't, I don't blame a young, inexperienced author for doing, but it's one of those things that she never acknowledged later when she could have learned better. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She never attempted to rectify her mistakes or even acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that bothers me about all of this stuff, <laughs> really. Is that she just digs her heels in as like, there was nothing wrong with what I've done. Yeah. Um, any more thoughts or shall we move into Gringotts? Yeah, because we're still on chapter one. <laughs> we've already been going for 45 minutes, so. Oh, gosh. It's fine. It's fine. And we were so um, worried we wouldn't have enough to say. I mean, that's going to be the big thing with these chapters. As far as, like, criticism, the rest is just sort of like, all right, all right. Do we need to talk more about Gringotts, or should we? Should we? Um. Yeah. Why is it a mine? Why do they travel on a mine cart? That's a very good question. That is a good question. <laughs> because it's easier than walking and faster. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess the implication is that Gringotts stores so much. Yes. yes, that's the thing. And the thing is that, like, wizarding spaces are very small. They they have to fit in between like the Muggle spaces. And mm-hmm. often that means going underground, like the Ministry of Magic later, yeah. you'll find is completely underground. Um, there's a very funny joke that uh, Hagrid makes. Quote, I never know, Harry called yeah. to Hagrid over the noise <laughs> of the cart. What's the difference between a stalagmite and a stalactite? Stalagmite's got an M in it, said Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. I love uh, Hagrid. Like, that's the first thing in this book that has made me, like, audibly laugh. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, Similarly, I enjoy how excited Harry is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Same, dude. I, yeah, I, same. I would love to be 11 and find out I had a fortune. Yeah. So they make it to the, I guess, individual vault. Yeah. Where the potter's money is stored. And it's just like a literal, like, dragon heap of treasure. Yep. <laughs> which is, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. mounds of gold coins he is a trust fund baby <laughs> yeah yep. 
Um, he is literally like a multi multi millionaire because yeah, of his yeah. father's side of the family. And she explicitly lampshades that she doesn't have a conversion rate between yep. wizarding money and and real world money because they don't do that. But uh, they do in book three. But yeah, they do. But it's tons. And then they go to Vault 713 and yep. get a MacGuffin. Yep. <laughs> which I'm sure will not be important at all. Nope. Uh, for the re- remainder of this book. Of course not. Certainly not. We meet a character. A mean boy. Yeah, so oh, now yes. we go to the uh, Taylor's... Madame Malkin. Madame Malkin's. Um, the... <laughs> I, I think it's great that not only are they required to wear black robes, but they are require- required to buy a pointed hat. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, as stipulated by the by the shopping list. And which, yeah. by the way, they never seem to wear. It is mentioned throughout the books occasionally, definitely. They never wear them in the movies after, like, the third movie. Yeah. And even mostly through the third movie, they don't. And even in the books, it's, like, for formal occasions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't wear your hat just around school. Even though it says on the list, for day wear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Harry goes in, starts getting fitted, uh, and meets a very nasty child. Uh, while Hagrid is off getting ice cream at the pub? From the ice cream shop. Yeah, from F- Florian Fortescue. Yeah, yep. he says, I'm going back to the Leaky Cauldron, and then comes back with ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> we learn about Quidditch very, very briefly. We learn that you do not want to be a Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, so, but, like, obviously this is Draco, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which we learn in, like, ten pages. And he's described as having, and I know this word means a different thing to different people, but he's described as having a drawling voice, which makes me think that he is just a very classy, like, yes. southern... He's a southern gentleman. Gentleman, like, money lad. He basically descended is. From, descended from plantation owners, you know. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he's been shopping with his parents. Couple things I found interesting with this brief conversation the very first thing that he says to harry is telling harry about his parents now he doesn't know who harry is but that's just an interesting contrast that he's talking to harry the boy that has no parents and immediately just saying my parents are off doing this and blah 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 and then the other thing is that he says what's your surname oh interesting yeah at the very end interesting yeah so they they go through this conversation harry's like trying to be polite while not giving away the fact that he doesn't know anything. Draco just goes off on Hagrid for no apparent reason. Well, because he's an asshole. Well, I mean, yeah. Calls him a savage, which is a very loaded word. He's definitely heard things from his parents at home. Yeah. Because his father calls Hagrid an oaf later in the books. And they start talking about parentage. Like, just after this, when Harry and Hagrid meet back up, Hagrid reinforces this. In, like, a really uncomfortable way. He asks what Quidditch is. Hagrid sort of makes an offhand comment about how he forgets that Harry doesn't know anything. And Harry says, don't make me feel worse, said Harry. He told Hagrid about the Pale Boy and Madame Malkin. And he said that people from Muggle families shouldn't even be allowed in. You're not from a Muggle family. If you'd known who you were, he's grown up knowing your name and if his parents were wizarding folk. But, like, instead of saying, oh, that doesn't matter. He says, you're not from a Muggle family. Yeah. 
he tries to soften it with, oh, some of the best I ever saw. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of my best friends are black. Yeah. It's a really weird thing for Hagrid, who is this character who we are supposed to love and who we do love and who is presented as this really great understanding guy to sort of reinforce that moment is super shitty. Yeah. Yeah, and then they go off on Hufflepuffs. Or really go off on Slytherins. Yeah, we're right. immediately presented with, like, Hufflepuff is for losers, and Slytherin is for people who are evil. The specific line is, there's not a single witch or wizard who, w who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin, which is wrong, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from just being very broad, but it's proven wrong pretty soon. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a thing that the wizarding world around Hogwarts generally uh, believes. And, yeah. and which is total bullshit. Yeah. yeah. I like the bit here where Harry goes to the bookshop and immediately tries to learn curses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, did you catch the name of the professor who wrote that book? Uh, Vindictus Viridini. Yeah, so, yeah. hey, how did everyone in the Wizarding World end up going into the discipline that perfectly matches the first <laughs> or, and or last name? Because the book list on Harry's shopping list, literally every person who has, like, a... a Deterministic. A yeah, it's... Yeah, Magical Theory by Aldebert Waffling, which is one of my favorite ones. Uh, 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi by Philidia Spore. Yeah, Transfiguration <laughs> by Switch... Yeah. We learn about pets at Hogwarts, and we get a beautiful owl. And then we go to Ollivander's. I think we can probably talk about the Pottermore. Yeah, let's yeah, just do that Yeah, should we just dive time. into the Pottermore page on Ollivander? So, so first of all, this scene is interesting, because it's just, like, this guy giving Harry a bunch of wands and waiting until one of them makes <laughs> magic. It's not what I was expecting, the bit about the wand chooses the wizard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was expecting that to mean more than just one of them will make magic when you hold it. It means more later. Yes. I love and am fascinated by Mr. Ollivander and like always have been and Wandlore in general. I find it really interesting. And Mr. Ollivander is such an interesting character to me, especially like there's a thing, there's a line that I want to read from the book and also from the Pottermore. There's two do lines it. that coincide. Yeah, um, we do get the lore tidbit here that the core feather of Harry's wand is from the same uh, phoenix as Voldemort's wand. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, oh, so the line is uh, when Mr. Ollivander is talking about Voldemort's wand. And he says, the wand chooses the wizard, remember? I think we must expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. After all... He who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Yeah, that's a really cool line. Mm -hmm. And then in the Pottermore, there's a line that says, uh, this is about Mr. Ollivander specifically, he had the ambition of improving upon the cores and wandwoods hitherto used, and from his earliest days conceived a single-minded, even fanatical determination in his pursuit of the ideal wand. So basically what I'm saying is the one of the things that I find really interesting about Ollivander is that he's kind of amoral. He is yeah. true neutral. Yeah, he's very much just like so focused on the craft of creating wands and like creating this channel for power that he is on the side of the good people, <laughs> the good side. And like that's very clear later. But 
he is definitely interested in all realms of magic and does not mind <laughs> studying them. Yeah. I don't know. That line that you read from the book, he who must not be named did great things, terrible, yes, but great. He is using an uncommon definition of great there, meaning big. Just like in magnitude. And he acknowledges that like, he who must not be named attempted to commit genocide of, men, um, of muggles among many other atrocities including uh attempted infanticide yeah i don't just uh, and aside i don't know that uh voldemort's like crimes other than being evil and killing the potters have been mentioned yet uh no you won't get that till later okay i'm just we're just supposed to know that he's evil yeah yeah so i'll just go ahead and tell you his ideal world contains no muggles in it at all oh, yeah. or only as, as slaves as you yeah. do that is his ultimate goal. I thought it was in this chapter, but it must be either in book four or book seven when we see Ollivander again. I think there's a part where Harry is like d slightly disturbed or unnerved by the way that Ollivander talks about certain wands. It's in book four. Is it in book four? In book four, um, you learn a little bit more about wands and it's hinted at in the Pottermore section in the third paragraph. So prior to Mr. Ollivander's proprietorship of the family business, wizards used a wide variety of wand cores. A customer would often present the wand maker with a magical substance to which they were attached or had inherited, or by which their family swore, hinted at by the core Fleur Delacour's wand. She's a character you meet in book four, and because it has basically nothing to do with the plot, I will just go ahead and say it. She is part magical creature, and... It's the hair of her grandmother yeah, is in her wand. That's okay. the core. And one of the things that Ollivander says in book four, which we'll get to eventually, is that it's possible that those wands are not as strong or as attuned because they were created for a witcher wizard rather than the wand choosing the witcher mm. wizard. Okay. Basically, Mr. Ollivander came in at year. He's like, however many hundreds of years. <laughs> it became swiftly clear that Ollivander's wands were infinitely superior to anything that had come before. I noticed that too, and I was like, wait, Mr. Ollivander was the revolutionary in wand making? I always assumed it was the, the Ollivander family. Yeah. It, it's him. <laughs> it's him it's, himself. It's <laughs> impressive how condensed, I guess, the world building is here, because like, it seems like everything important happened within like the last two generations, at most. You know, Mr. Ollivander himself, this individual, has been giving out wands to everyone we've heard about, and... Yeah, so Voldemort disappeared when he was approximately 60? Yeah. 65? And Ollivander sold him his wand at age 11. Yeah. Ollivander also seems to be, like, old as hell. Yeah, he old as fuck. We don't um... know how old he is. <laughs> Magic, you know? Actually, wait. Voldemort is 65 in book two. Book two, he's 65. Because yeah. Hagrid's 63, and I know this because reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, so this Ollivander page has some wild stuff about how the family must have come from the Mediterranean the because... His the name is Ollivander? Olive, which, first of all, that's not how etymology works. Second of all, the idea of a presumably Italian or Gallic wizard arriving with the Romans. 
yeah <laughs> in in ancient britain is just absolutely hilarious yeah like, there's just so much happening there's so much happening in this single paragraph and it is very vague and very specific in very strange ways hey hey jk why did you write this <laughs> paragraph like what benefit do you or any of your readers get out of this that whole second paragraph is unnecessary like the only part that i like is i like knowing that Ollivander worked on that specific method of wand making because mm -hmm. like we know in the books that Ollivander is the best wand maker or is known to be the best wand maker but i i like this little bit of extra saying that he was the one that invented the way his wands are made yeah yeah i like the lore about wand making I don't know what possessed her to put in this part about ancient Romans and... <laughs> yeah, like, if you just start at the second paragraph, it's great. Yeah. It's actually yeah. really cool. Yeah. Okay, so two sentences. JK, can you write us two sentences on each subject that you want to put on Pottermore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Harry gets okay. a wand. Harry gets Harry a wand. Gets a Hooray. Wand. Then Harry has another very relatable moment. So he's very quiet. They're eating soup. Hagrid mm -hmm. asks if everything's okay. Harry wasn't sure he could explain. He just had the best birthday of his life. And yet, he chews his hamburger, trying to find the words. Everyone thinks I'm special, he said at last. All those people in the Leaky Cauldron, Professor Quirrell, Mr. Ollivander. But I don't know anything about magic at all. How can they expect great things? I'm famous and I can't even remember what I'm famous for. Yeah. I feel you, buddy. It's, again, like another hard pivot from deep whimsy to... Yeah. yeah. Like a really meaningful moment. And then Hagrid just has a sweet thing to say back to him, which I, I was reading it and I was like, oh, I, I love Hagrid. He's so good. He says, don't, don't you worry, Harry. You'll learn fast enough. Everyone starts at the beginning at Hogwarts. You'll be just fine. You've been singled out and that's always hard, but you'll have a great time at, at Hogwarts. I did and still do, as a matter of fact. Or as she writes it, smatter of fact. But yeah. You know, when... <laughs> the other thing about this written accent is that it also just makes no sense. No, it's not a dialect <laughs> accent at all. Yeah, it is not coherent with any. It's more like related to if there's like later scenes throughout all of the books where Ron is talking with his mouth full and she writes out the way it sounds. It's a lot closer to that. This is a lot closer to that. <laughs> I'm interested to see if that's coherent. The way that she wrote smatter is like very close to something that Ron says later. I don't know exactly what, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> e, I think you'll find that the way that she writes Ron with his mouth full is alarmingly close to how it sounds when somebody's yeah. mouth is full. It's, it's very good, actually. See, I can respect that. Like, that is good to me. This is yeah. nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. All right, we should move on to the second chapter. Yeah, and so then Hagrid's just like, okay, now go home for a month. Bye. And doesn't give him fucking directions. Yeah. Hagrid, my dude. <laughs> You've just seen how scared this child is. And then you're just going to be like, all right, bye. Peace out. Have fun like, in your last month. Good luck getting to London and finding your train. Yeah, as a solitary child. Like, was there no accommodations? Like so that's the thing is in book in book 6 you actually see what it's look what it looks like for an orphan to make their way to Hogwarts on their own. There's like specific instructions that are supposed to be given that just aren't given. Yeah. So this one's on Hagrid. Or it's a plot hole of like how did Harry get home because <laughs> Yeah, it just stuck him on the train. This is it's a big plot hole scene. Should so... we skip to 
the platform and the Weasleys? Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about the Dursleys. She makes it out that they're all, like, frightened of it now, and they avoid him. Hey, another form of child abuse. Yeah, and um, that happens. There's There are later books where like, oh, Harry yeah. spends the whole summer just avoiding them and them avoiding him and him being happy about that. But, you know. Yeah, you're going to come across in book three some oh actually book two too but yeah oh god yeah Yeah, book two Uh uh-huh so he gets to the platform he has 10 minutes before the train which is so little time Mm -hmm. nobody has told him how to get like to get to nine and three quarters and it just so happens that the weasleys are also there and running late because they have five children in hogwarts (laughs) no four i guess four children in hogwarts yeah four children well currently yeah yeah yeah. Five children with her on the day. They show him Mrs. Weasley is adorable, as always. Power to moms. The whole first introduction to the Weasley family, I just find is such a, like, wholesome and... It's so sweet. Sweet, like, introduction yeah. for Harry to just see what a nice family is like. Yeah. Yeah. The teasing about Fred and George being mixed up even by their own mother, and then the fact that Mrs. Weasley is just like immediately cottons onto the fact that Harry is alone and confused and Mm -hmm. is like, oh yeah, no, like don't worry about it. Here's how you do it. Just immediately adopts him, which is perfect. And then, of course, you see them learn who he is. And Fred and George are like, they're chaos agents, but they're sweethearts, right? Like they see yeah. Harry struggling with his trunk and they help him put it on the train. And then he sort of like moves his bangs out of the way and they all freak out. Um, yeah. And then he says, oh, him. I mean, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. One point as people are getting on the train, we get the only like implied person of color to exist so far, which is that uh, one person yes. is mentioned as having dreadlocks. Yep. Lee Jordan. He'll come back. Which doesn't like necessarily mean that this is a black person but that's yeah she always describes the people that we know are characters of color are described by their hair not by their skin tone ever one exception during sorting i'm just thinking of angelina johnson who's later described by her braids and then like and lee jordan by his dreadlocks yeah this is a whole different conversation that we are gonna need to have but like the idea of only describing people of color by the specific hairstyles that identify them and that are themselves politicized is super shitty. This is not in this book, but the three Asian students at Hogwarts are, you really only figure it out by their names and their yes. names aren't even like correct. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Anyway. But you do meet the Weasleys and they are sweet and adorable. One of the things that I love is that, so Ron comes and sits with Harry and the twins who have already sort of freaked out a little bit about that fact that Harry is Harry come in and they just like introduce themselves they're like okay we we get it you're this famous person we're gonna like move on with our lives i'm fred he's george because right before they got back on the train they were talking to mrs weasley and she specifically told them yes they were like oh we're gonna ask him about if he remembers and she's like no you you're not gonna bring up his trauma like Yeah, that's a really good conversation that we get to overhear, where their mom is just like, treat this kid like a normal kid. And you see, like, that the twins are, like, they're goofy, and they make a lot of mischief, but they are good at heart. Yeah. I do want to, like, scooch past, because there's, like, a lot happening here. But there's an interesting conversation about money, 
in this chapter. Yeah. So uh, there were more Weasleys than I thought. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about the two that had already graduated. Yeah, so it we could Charlie. do it. Do you want to do the quiz now? I'm just kidding. Well, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Harry has this really interesting conversation with Ron about money. He's t- Ron's talking about his hand-me-down rat <laughs> and hand-me-down wand. And he he says, Percy's got an owl from my dad for being made a prefect, but they couldn't afford... I mean, I got scabbers instead. Yeah. yeah, so we get this really sweet moment of them, like, bonding over growing Poverty. up poor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except that now, Harry has a fuck ton of money and is willing yeah. to spend it on his friends. Yeah. yeah, and so Harry buys, like, everything off of the snack cart, and they eat yeah. a bunch of candy. <laughs> they also have pasties. They aren't just eating candy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> pumpkin pasties, which, by the way, are delicious. Yeah, I made them for the Ministry of Magic, and it was great. We used like the croissant ready-made dough, and then put like pumpkin filling in it. That's what we did, and it was really yeah. good. the The chocolate frog cards are the first, I think, the first instance of real historical slash mythological names being used for and being said to be wizards slash witches. Yep. Yeah, um, we get the the thing that every fantasy or sci-fi author has to do. Which is list a yeah. bunch of names of fantastical people and then throw in some real ones. Agrippa, Morgana, uh, Cersei. Cersei. E, may I recommend at some point rereading the description of Albus Dumbledore in the Chocolate Frog card? Like, once I've met Dumbledore? Uh, no, just want. keep it in mind. I would like to mention Sassy Harry on page 81 of the... Uh, British edition. What does he say? This is when Malfoy introduces yeah. himself and he says, you don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. And Harry says, I think I can tell the wrong sort for myself. Thanks. And that sets up their entire dynamic. Yeah. So we, we get introduced to a bunch of characters in succession. Uh, we meet Neville, who's looking for his toad. You meet Hermione, who has a very specific description. Uh, a bossy sort of voice, lots of bushy brown hair, and rather large front teeth. You get Malfoy and Crab and Goyle. Yeah. Which, again, uh, JKR just lays on the fat people are stupid, yep. uh, both with Neville and with these two. Yeah. Hermione is, to be honest, annoying in this chapter. Yeah, Hermione, <laughs> like, she's extremely relatable, and also painted as much more of a an annoyance than I expected her to be. Like, I knew that she had that sort of arc. I didn't expect it to be this much. Yeah, it it continues for a little bit. And they get to Hogwarts. Uh, they, they sail across the lake. <laughs> okay, so here's my problem. Hogwarts is described as perched atop a high mountain. Mm-hmm. Has J.K. Rowling ever seen a mountain? <laughs> no. Um, follow up. Are there any mountains in England? This is in Scotland. This is in Scotland. Oh, we're in Scotland now. That's right. It's also never, the castle is definitely not atop a mountain. No. Because they can walk literally just onto the grounds from the steps and it's fine. Yeah. So JKR has never seen a mountain. No. But I do encourage all of our listeners to go onto YouTube and watch the guy try and walk in a straight line across Wales. Because yes. I think these are very similar mountains that she's thinking. Yes. Uh, GeoWizard is the Yes, GeoWizard walking across Wales in a straight line. I we'll highly recommend. We learned that Neville's toad is named Trevor, <laughs> which is just a perfect name. Uh-huh. We meet Professor McGonagall. One of 
my favorite characters in the entire series. Oh, God, yeah. And Harry has an immediate thought about her. She is very stern and not someone to cross. Yes. I feel like he might have had teachers that acted like this in primary school. Yeah, probably. My favorite moment with Professor McGonagall won't show up until book five, but yes, uh, she is one of my favorite characters. Yeah, I love her so much. Yeah, it's just funny to me that that JKR didn't introduce any like asides to describe how she's saying it. Or... Yeah. Yeah, we don't get much about her personality in this scene at all. She, hang on, her eyes lingered for a moment on Neville's which was fastened under his left ear and Ron's much nose. <laughs> like, okay. yeah, sure she, she notices things. Yeah. Uh, we meet ghosts. Yep. We meet ghosts. Which um, great. And then we get the sorting hat describing itself. One thing that I will give props to JKR is that she is very good at writing rhymed verse. I love her rhymed verse. This and the... Um, the Gringotts one? The Gringotts bit are, are both very well written. Well, then you will have many more to enjoy because the yeah. Sorting Hat does this for every sorting ceremony. And this is where we can talk about the Sorting Hat section. We skipped the Hogwarts Express article. It was a lot of unnecessary. This, this page is yeah. also a load of nonsense. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's not necessary. Um, it's also just like not that interesting. I feel like it could just be like, so... Uh, they used to get there however they wanted, but it was messy. But then when the wizards had to be secret, they, they stole a train. And there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's it. Congratulations. Yeah. But for the sorting hat. So this Pottermore page says it literally contains the intelligence of the four founders. Yeah. Yes. Does that mean their like minds are in there? I don't think so. Like what the, what does intelligence mean here? All of their knowledge is what is I that It's as smart as four people yeah. combined. Those specific four people. Ah, okay. Um, the third paragraph here on Pottermore implies that if somebody behaves unstereotypically, that it is a mistake. The hat insists that it is not a yeah. mistake ever. Well, but, like, the implication is that it's presented as if it is a mistake, and yet the hat refuses to admit it. Because the hat does have a personality, and some is an asshole. of free will, <laughs> yeah. Um. When Slytherins behave altruistically or selflessly, when Ravenclaws flunk all at their exams, when Hufflepuffs prove lazy yet academically gifted, and when Gryffindors exhibit cowardice. We see all of these things throughout the books, actually. You never see a Ravenclaw flunk an exam. That's true, okay, we see everything but that one. <laughs> I don't like the idea that you can't be a Ravenclaw and flunk an exam. Or or be a Hufflepuff and academically gifted. Like, what? Oh, you can be academically gifted. You just can't be lazy about it. You have to work very, very hard to be academically gifted uh, if you're a Hufflepuff. Yes. They are hardworking. Yeah, Ravenclaws don't necessarily have to work hard to be academically gifted. But they must always be academically gifted. Still don't like this paragraph. No, bad. <laughs> um, we get to hear some names. Yeah, Ooh. so she just goes off on all of her OCs. Yep. Just naming some random people and giving, like, their hair color occasionally. But, um, so Thomas Dean, a black boy. In my edition, black is capitalized. Where is oh. that in the list? Um, it's just before Ron is oh, sorted. Oh, I see. Yeah, it says, and now there were only three people left to be sorted. Thomas Dean, a black boy even taller than Ron, joined Harry at the Gryffindor table. For whatever reason, black is capitalized. Wait, hold on. Hang on. Hold on. 
Yeah, so what does the British edition say? Wait. Wait, hang on. I don't think Dean Thomas is... What? No, Dean Thomas is not in my book. It literally goes from Harry to a bunch of conversation that Harry's having at the table, and then... so it's... And now there were only three people left to be sorted. Turpin Lisa became a Ravenclaw, and then it was Ron's turn. He was pale green by now. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, in the American edition, Thomas Dean, a black boy even taller than Ron. So they literally added... For the American edition. For the American edition, they added Dean Thomas because he was in a later scene, I guess, and they were like, oh, let's put him in here. So, Zoe, do you have... So there's Harry clapped loudly with the rest as Ron collapsed with the chair next to him. Well done, Ron. Excellent, said Percy Weasley pompously across from Harry as Zabini Blaze was made a Slytherin. Yep. That's after. So that's three people. Turpin, Lisa... Ron and Zabini Blaze. But Dean Thomas would be before Lisa Turpin. But now it says, now there were only three people left to be sorted. Dean Thomas, Turpin, Lisa, Ron, and Zabini Blaze. That's four. (laughs) So So they just retconned him into the the sorting hat ceremony. But only in the American editions. And they also didn't change the number three to four, right? Yeah. So wait, is he in this book? Like later in this book? Yes. Okay. That is wild. Okay. Is he described as black later on as well? Yes. Okay. So it's not just that the American edition inserted this scene and also made him black. But. Um, that's wild. Yeah. Huh. Bananas. Yeah. So it's literally just. So someone in the the American publishing just capitalized also? Capitalized black. Huh. A capital B black boy. Capital B means something. Yeah. We did skip the part where Harry actually chooses what house he goes to. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> let's, about that. let's zoom back on that. Then should we look at hat stall also? Yes. I mean, Harry's not really... He's worried about being a hat stall. So Harry goes up and is just like, not Slytherin. And then the hat's like, all right, Gryffindor. And Harry, who knows nothing about Slytherin except for who has been sorted there already, which is a bunch of people he doesn't like, Crab, yeah. Goyle, Malfoy. Yep. And Hagrid saying Slytherin sucks. Yeah. Says not Slytherin. And the hat says, not Slytherin, eh? Are you sure? You could be great. It's all here in your head. And help you on the way to greatness, no doubt about that. No? Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor. And that's really the first indication of the fact that, like, Slytherin is not about being evil. It's about being... Ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, personally ambitious. It's about being selfish and ambitious. Yes. Which Harry is not no he's really bad at being selfish he's really not selfish so that he it's definitely he's right in this the hat makes a good point yes which is harry deeply desires to prove himself probably because he is new to this situation and has been abused for 11 years but harry is right that like he wouldn't fit in slytherin he is so selfless Mm -hmm. like literally selfless to a fault in many cases throughout the books i love him he's a good boy so hat stall that's mm-hmm. all. I like this little tidbit about Hermione and Neville, especially the thing about Neville, which is a little bit. Yeah, so the thing about Neville is in the text here. The thing about Hermione is not. But she actually took, what, like five minutes? Neville takes a long time and accidentally wears the hat off the stage. Which yeah. Is <laughs> yeah. I think that the sorting hat not knowing where to put Hermione makes sense because yes. she also mentions that later on. In the series, she says, you know, the hat almost put me in Ravenclaw. It tracks, like, multiple people throughout the books are like, why are you not in Ravenclaw? Yeah, it surprises me that that she gets placed in Gryffindor without any commentary by the book in this moment. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because literally all we've seen of her so far is her being extremely, like, bookish yeah. and smart yeah. pants. And you find out pretty early on, well, I guess, like, halfway through book one, probably why she's in Gryffindor and yeah. not in yeah. Ravenclaw. Like, it becomes pretty clear pretty quick. She has, like, you know, a secret desire to break every rule in the book. It's fine. <laughs> but I love this description of Neville. Me too. Um, I've always had a soft spot for him. Mm-hmm. And You're talking about the Pottermore description? Yeah. In a few pages, you hear how his family abused him mm-hmm. in an attempt to figure out if he was magical or not. Yeah. And so the fact that he is so intimidated and such a klutz, and he just desperately wanted to be in Hufflepuff. Right. In Hufflepuff with the plant lovers. With the plants. This bit also speaks to the Sorting Hat being willful mm-hmm. yeah. as an intelligent being and not just a personality test. The Hat sees the potential in Neville that he does not get. The Hat has an ambition for Neville. Yeah, and we will see him like grow into that throughout mm-hmm. the books. Which is an interesting perspective on like, I don't know, not to get too like galaxy brained here, but like, <laughs> like philosophies of education. Mm-hmm. Like, should you allow a child to give up on themselves? Like, like, should you allow a child to have that agency of like, no, this is what I want. It's also interesting that like Neville has grown up kind of being, I don't know rid- if it was ridiculed by his family, but more like they, they never expected much from him, but the hat yeah, expects so- something from him. So in a couple pages, people are talking about their family histories. And then Neville says, well, my gran brought me up and she's a witch, but the family thought I was all muggle for ages. There's a word for that in book two. It's called squib. Um, mm-hmm. My great uncle, Algie, kept trying to catch me off guard and force some magic out of me. He pushed me off the end of Blackpool Pier once. I nearly drowned. And that was before he was eight. Before he was eight, because nothing happened until I was eight. Great uncle Algie came around for dinner. He was hanging me out of an upstairs window by the ankles when great auntie Enid offered him a meringue and he accidentally let go, but I bounced all the way down the garden and into the road. They were all really pleased. Gran was crying. She was so happy. Which is a wild reaction it's to have. It's painted as like a, a comical scene. It's comical and good. Yeah. Because everybody's happy. But also, that old man hung a child of eight years old out of a window by his... Yeah, and yeah. like pushed him into the water when he clearly was too young to swim. Boy, there are a lot of forms of child abuse being tossed around in this book. Yeah, yeah and th- there will be more. Um... Uh, I just want to quickly point out uh, the two other hat stalls that are pointed out here. Mm-hmm. Minerva McGonagall was a hat stall, uh, and Peter Pettigrew was a hat stall. Remember the name Peter Pettigrew? Yes. I do know that name, and I think I know why. Yeah. McGonagall had the same one as Hermione, which is great. Yeah, Peter Pettigrew between Gryffindor and Slytherin, so same as Harry. Yeah. The um, page here does not specify what Minerva ended up being. Gryffindor. She's the head okay. of Gryffindor House. So. Okay. Yeah, so we have some interesting conversations over dinner. We meet some ghosts. They eat a lot of food. I still don't know what mint humbugs are. This is apparently something unexpected to eat with dinner. It's um, a candy. Oh, okay. They are a traditional hard-boiled sweet. Interesting. Huh. All right. Um, um, Harry makes eye contact with Snape. Which is foreboding. His scar hurts, also foreboding. Dumbledore makes a, an absurd speech. He's just trolling. Nitwit, oddment, blubber, tweak. Like, Dumbledore just exists to... Like, he does not give a shit. He no. gives negative shits. 
which is concerning. He also gives uh, quite a speech at the yes. end. We learn about the Forbidden Forest and the Forbidden Floor, or the Forbidden Corridor. And also yes. Quidditch tryouts. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe I will soften, but I still don't like Dumbledore. That's fine. Like, I still think that he is, like, irresponsible to the point of active neglect. Congratulations, we agree. I think I always just found him funny at the beginning, and then later started to like him for other reasons, but... To me, it's funny ominous, as opposed to funny, like, harmless. Yeah, no, that makes sense. My favorite line is actually, so he says, and now before we go to bed, let us school scone, cried Dumbledore. Harry noticed that the other teacher's smiles had become rather fixed. Yeah, <laughs> Dumbledore loves this, and the kids love this. And the teachers don't. The teachers are just humoring him. This is actually genuinely a good bit of, like, childhood education. Yeah. yeah. Here, like, doing really dumb stuff with kids is fun and they love yeah. it and it it works Ooh. and dumbledore handles it much better than than certain teachers in the future yes <laughs> we learned that hogwarts is completely inaccessible to anyone with mobility issues yes because they have to climb like 400 flights of stairs to go to bed i have read a lot of good headcanons about hogwarts reshaping itself to accommodate students that need any sort of thing that they might need yeah. My guess good. is that the but stairs just become escalators. Yeah. Yeah. Which some of the stairs already are escalators, so... Yeah, yeah also that. <laughs> the Gryffindor common room entrance is a hole in the wall? The Gryffindor common room entrance is a portrait. A hole in the wall behind a portrait. Yes. They often talk about scrambling yes. through the portrait hole, which definitely means that it is, like, up off the ground. Like a circular hole in the wall is what I picture. Neville le needed a leg up. Like, they have to, like muscle up to get yeah. this place. Because they're in Gryffindor. Um, Harry has a very prophetic slash frightening nightmare. Yeah. They have extremely good beds. Yeah, mm -hmm. they do. Um, four posters each, which I don't know if that means that they're like all sleeping in queen-size beds or if these are tiny like twin. I think they're twin fo four posters. But either way, very nice. Are there only five boys in Gryffindor? No, there's five boys in their year. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes so much more sense. Because I was like... it is Hogwarts is definitely huge. It's described... They're, usually the student body is described as hundreds, I think. Like, if we say about four kids per year, per grade, per house, it is yeah. approximately 224. So yeah. you round up because there's been a bit of a baby boom since the post-war. It's probably close to 300. Yeah. yeah. Which is still a very small school, all hmm. told. Like, compare that to any high school. Because the wizarding community is small compared to the yeah. local community. It is extremely small. Yeah. Um, and, like, this is basically all of the magical children in the entirety of the United Kingdom. Yeah. yeah. And... Ireland, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> because there is not a distinction made there. Although it is said that there are some children later who are homeschooled or sent abroad. So mm -hmm. the school in France and the school in Russia may have some kids from the British Isles. And of course, there's pig farts on Mars. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, so we end with this, this foreboding nightmare. Harry's That's dreams are always interesting to look at. Like there, there are some that are 
very important, but there are others that are like just kind of funny and yeah. So that's yes. that's that's where we're at with the book. Um, we we had so much to say. We talked for another uh, two hours. <laughs> there's there's just a lot of dense like there's a lot of information packed in here. So many character introductions. I think for the next, are we doing three or four next? Uh, we are doing The Potions Master, Midnight Duel, Halloween, and Quidditch. So, so we're doing four, four chapters. Um, and then the closing for book one will be three chapters each, which are shit goes down chapters. <laughs> yep. All right. I think we should say what we would like to have in the opening night feast as a part of our outro. Oh, I need to look at this list of food again. Hang on. Yeah, we have to pick from the list of food. Yes. Yeah, we have to what list. What page is it on? I, I've definitely thought about this at every opening feast because I'm vegetarian and I'm like, well, I'm sure Zoe, you have to think about this. <laughs> but uh, 92. Yeah. If you're following along in the American edition, it is pages 123 and 125, dinner and dessert. I have to put myself in the shoes of an 11-year-old child in england from the 90s i would be eating roast potatoes and yorkshire pudding with carrots and peas and then for dessert i would absolutely have a treacle tart and probably two or three chocolate eclairs uh i would be eating i would <laughs> 11 year old me would be eating roast yep. beef and peas like i don't know why but roast beef was always like a delicacy to me even when i went to like subway or something and had the option to put roast beef on a sandwich i was like oh my god give me this um and peas because my dad's allergic <laughs> so we never ate them and i was like oh my gosh peas i get to eat peas i would have roast potatoes peas carrots and that's it <laughs> oh i would also be having roast potatoes you could probably have yorkshire pudding but nothing i don't really know what yorkshire pudding is so they're like turnovers. Okay. But savory. Okay. Um, and I would be having, I assume jelly here in the list means like. It is jello in like, the American edition. Yeah. Uh, I was also obsessed <laughs> with jello as a child. Um, and probably. I would definitely pie. have apple pie and strawberries. And that's probably it. Although a treacle tart would also be very good. I've never been interested in treacle tart. I've always thought that it was very strange that Harry loves it so much. <laughs> it's just sugar. Yeah, and it sticks your teeth yeah. together. Like, uh, do we do our plugs again at the end? Yeah. I forget. Yes. Let's sign off. I have been Adela. You can find me at Aradel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore on Twitter and Aradel Grace on YouTube. I am Zoe. You can find me at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z. On Twitter, and you can buy my book *Ostentatious: The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans*, wherever books are found. And I'm E. You can find me on Twitter at cel10e, and on Twitch and YouTube as well. And you can uh, purchase more music by our fantastic theme composer uh, Morgan Jackson. You can find his music at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.